Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com slash iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. You're listening to Afropunk Solution Sessions. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. And I'm your co-host, Eve Jeffcoat. Afropunk is a safe place, a blank space to freak out in, to construct a new reality, to live our lives as we see fit while making sense of the world around us. Here at Afropunk, we have the conversations that matter to us, conversations that lead to solutions. In our previous episode, In a Box, we talked about mass incarceration, which is a huge problem in the U.S. in general, but particularly affects disadvantaged people disproportionately. In that episode, you heard from Paul Butler. Now, Paul is the author of the book Chokehold, Policing Black Men, and he's a law professor at Georgetown University. And in that conversation, we talked a lot about his upbringing in Chicago, his time as a prosecutor, and why he decided to stop doing that work, and his personal experience with the system. And in that episode, you only got to hear a little bit from him, but now we're going to bring you the full interview. So let's get into it. I'm Paul Butler. I'm a law professor at Georgetown and the author of Chokehold, Policing Black Men. I'm also a legal analyst on MSNBC. Um, And I would like to start to get you just to talk a little bit about your upbringing and how you got into this work. I know that you told a really powerful and impactful story at Solution Sessions about being arrested and being prosecuted for a crime that you didn't commit. Um, So can you talk a little bit about that and about about how you got to this point? Part of it is growing up in a beautiful, loving, low-income, all-African-American community in Chicago, Illinois. 
I grew up there in the 70s and 80s in what Martin Luther King described as the most segregated city he'd ever seen. I remember once riding my bicycle to the library, which was literally across the tracks in the white neighborhood. I was about 12, 13 years old, and when I crossed those tracks, this cop car pulled up alongside me. A white cop rolls down the window and says, is that bicycle yours? And I say, yeah, is that car yours? And I speed away. And when I get home, I tell my mom what I'd said to the cop. She spanked me. Don't I know what happens to black boys who talk to the police like that? It was one of those spankings where the mom cries as much as the kid. It turns out that she was exactly right. Literally, during the time that that happened, the police, we now know, were torturing black men. The Chicago police had an off-site location where they attached black men's testicles to electrodes. Uh, They put poison in their noses to try to coerce them into confessing to crimes that they didn't commit. The city of Chicago has paid millions of dollars now uh, to the victims of that kind of atrocious police torture. And so why, having experiences like that, would I decide to, of all things, be a prosecutor? I actually went into the prosecutor's office as an undercover brother. I was hoping I could make change from the inside. But what I learned is that the system is too broke to fix. We need radical transformation. Our criminal legal process, I won't say criminal justice system because there's nothing just about it, but our criminal legal process is so broke down, we can't think about reform. We have to think about transformation. And I learned that lesson as a prosecutor the hard way. During the time that I worked at the Justice Department, I had the most high-profile case. I was on a team that was prosecuting a United States senator for public corruption. And during the time that I was working in that case, I got arrested and prosecuted for a crime that I didn't commit. It was a stupid little Fred and Barney dispute about a parking space. A neighbor had said that I'd run up to her and pushed her. She was mad at me because I was using a parking space that she thought was hers. The thing is, she called the police, and now it's real clear what happens when folks call the police on black people. Police rolled up, didn't ask any questions, just arrested me. People say, well, didn't you tell them you were a prosecutor? Damn right I did. Cops said, so you probably know this already. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. So I talk about the rest in my book, Let's Get Free, A Hip-Hop Theory of Justice. And so I hope folks will check that one out uh, if they want to know the whole story. But I'll tell you, things worked out fine for me. Things worked out fine because I had the best lawyer in town, Michelle Roberts, African-American. At that point best defense attorney in D.C., and now she runs the National Basketball Association, Players Association. And I had her because I could afford to hire the best lawyer in town. Things worked out fine for me because I had a kind of social standing 
we made sure the jury knew that I was a lawyer, that I'd gone to Yale. Those kind of things shouldn't matter, but they do. And so I knew how to look like the kind of black man a D.C. jury wouldn't want to send to jail. Things worked out fine for me because I had legal skills. I had literally prosecuted people in the courtroom where I was being prosecuted. And the last reason things worked out fine for me is because I was innocent. But that didn't seem like the most important reason. And so when that jury said not guilty, I could have gone back to the prosecutor's office. But what had happened was so mind-blowing. I didn't feel like doing that work anymore. A lot of things that defendants who I prosecuted had said to me, like the cops lie, like there were people who knew the real deal but they wouldn't come forward, all of that happened in my case. So when I look back, of course I regret it. I regret having to go through that process. But I don't regret it wholly. Uh, That prosecution, being prosecuted, being put on trial, it made a man out of me. It made a black man out of me. You mentioned that things worked out for you because you knew the system and you had this kind of social standing. What would have happened if you didn't know the system? I would have been forced to plead guilty to a crime that I didn't commit. And for me, again, it would have been fine. Hell, I had a good job, and I could have gotten another job as a lawyer, not as a prosecutor, but I could have done something. So I'm not concerned about people like me. What I'm concerned about is all of the other young sisters and brothers who are in the system who don't have the advantages that I have. And they end up often pleading guilty because the prosecutor throws the book at them and says that if you go to trial, if you exercise that constitutional right to get this case heard by a jury of your peers, if you lose, I'm going to put you under the jail. And lots of people just can't take that risk. And so they end up getting put on probation or getting locked up uh, simply because uh, the system doesn't work the way the Constitution says. There's no meaningful right to a jury trial. Uh, A lot of the Bill of Rights, when it comes to African Americans, is just words on paper. And unfortunately, the right to a trial by jury is one of those things that's just words on paper. But we know the way that African-American men especially experience our lives is that uh, black men have no rights uh, that the police are bound to respect. There is this stigma that black men are angry, that they're threatening, and that they're aggressive that leads into these type of actions and things that, like, you know, cause people to lock their doors or cross the street or, you know, things like shoot first and ask questions later or, or never. What, how can those stigmas change? How can we change those perceptions? You know, that's, when you ask how can we change the perceptions that, black men are are more violent or more angry, that's kind of like asking how can we change the perception that the 
moon is made of green cheese. Uh, it's bullshit. And people should know better. And a lot of people do know better. So what we have to understand about all these stereotypes about black men that were prone to crime, criminal-minded, violent, is that those myths serve a function. Uh, those myths prop up white supremacy. And one way we know this is by looking at how stereotypes about black men travel over time and, and how they depend on whatever work white supremacy needs stereotypes about black men to do. And so if you look back during slavery, uh, there wasn't a stereotype that black men were violent or dangerous because if, if that were true, of course, you wouldn't want them uh, in large numbers, you know, living basically in your home if you were a plantation owner or living on your land. And so then the stereotypes were that black men were docile, that we were superstitious, that we were lazy, that we were stupid. And it wasn't until emancipation when black people gained their freedom, at least on paper, that these new stereotypes popped up, that African-American men were more likely to commit rape, especially against white women, that we are drug users and crazy fiends. And again, that was to support Jim Crow. The idea was that if people thought that black folks were antisocial and black men were rapists, uh, that justified not only housing segregation, uh, not only opening the jails to fill them with black men, that justified segregated schools, segregated cemeteries, segregated white-only, colored-only water fountains and train compartments. So the only way that we get rid of these lies that people tell about black men is to crush white supremacy. And that sounds, of course, like a, a huge task. And it is. But in my new book, Choco, Policing Black Men, I suggest some places to start. Can you talk about some of those places that you mentioned to start? Uh, you know, I've been so inspired by the movement for black lives. I think it's the most important social justice movement of our time. And one of its insights is that all of the ways that people of color and poor people and LGBT people are, are subordinated, uh, they're all related. And so you can't talk about the problem of black men being killed by the police in disproportionate numbers without also understanding that black girls uh, get kicked out of school for disciplinary reasons way more than almost anybody else, even though they don't present more problems. It's just that that's how people respond when black girls act out way different than how they respond 
when white girls act out. You can't think about those problems without thinking about the fact that the average net worth of a black woman is $100, of an unmarried black woman, 100 bucks. Uh, compared to the average net worth of a white man, $71,000. And that's related to eviction. Some people have said what mass incarceration is to black men, eviction is to black women. And so we have to think of all of these kind of as symptoms, again, of this larger disease of white supremacy. And so in my work, I focus on the criminal legal process, and I've understood that, again, what we do to black people in this country, call the police on them for no reason, we weaponize 911. What we do to black folks is lock them up. More black people are under the criminal legal process now, under criminal supervision. More black people under criminal legal supervision now than there were slaves in 1850. One way to resolve that is to abolish prison. So prison abolition is something that has been endorsed by the Movement for Black Lives, uh, by some lawyers' organizations, and, and by a lot of people who've had family members in the system or returning citizens who've been in the system themselves. And when you first hear about prison abolition, I know it sounds a little crazy, especially coming from me, a former prosecutor, but what we have to ask ourselves is, what is it that we think prison does? And are there ways that we could do that without locking people in cages like animals? And what we hope prison does is to keep us safe from people who would hurt us if they weren't locked up. And we hope that it makes people who've caused harm accountable for the harm that they've caused. But those of us who've worked inside the system know that prison doesn't do either one of those very well. And so the question is, can we use our creativity, our ingenuity, our morality to come up with better ways, more effective ways, of keeping us safe and of making people who've caused harm responsible for the harm they've caused? And the answer is yes. The great news is that there are communities all over the country uh, that are working on ways to resolve conflict, ways to help people in crisis that don't involve uh, calling the men with guns and batons that don't respond to people's mental health issues by locking them in cages. So prison abolition starts to make sense when we understand that 80% of people who are incarcerated now are either addicts or mentally ill. So if we started giving folks treatment rather than punishment, we'd be a whole lot safer. You know, People say, well, what about the victims? One thing we have to understand is when we think about the victim of a crime, and especially the victim of a violent crime, 
the image in our mind should be that of a, a young African-American man or a young African-American woman. Uh, they're the people who are the most likely victims in the United States. And when we talk to those folks about what they want, often it's not putting the person who caused harm under the jail. Uh, what they want is to feel safe. And right there in Brooklyn, the home of the, the, the original Afropunk Festival, uh, right there in Brooklyn, there's a community organization called Common Justice that's doing amazing work on, on these issues. So Common Justice has this deal with the district attorney of Brooklyn. Shout out to Eric Gonzalez now and his predecessor, who unfortunately died uh, while he was in office, made this agreement with Common Justice that for certain cases of violent crime, if the victim agreed, then that case left the DA's office and it went to this community organization called Common Justice. And there, the victim has to consent. And guess what? Victims do consent because folks in Bed-Stuy, folks in Flatbush, folks in these stressed communities in Brooklyn, they're the main people who get it. Uh, they know that the DA's office isn't going to do anything that makes them feel safer, even if the guy's blocked up. That's not going to help them. And, and so what they do in common justice is, first of all, have the person who's caused harm get the kind of help that he needs so that he's not going to hurt anybody again. Often that involves therapy, it involves treatment for addiction or for mental health disorders. It involves that dude getting in touch with themselves and sometimes that's how it works. Sometimes brothers who are in the middle of what might be a, a two-year therapy a two-year being forced to confront your own demons. Sometimes those brothers say, man, I wish I'd gone to jail. Because this stuff, this getting in touch with why I caused this harm, this is too hard. But guess what? It works way better than prison. And so people who've been in this program, and the other thing they have to do is to make it up to the victim in a way that she feels whole in a way that she feels, even though whatever this guy did to her, it can never be undone, in a way that she now feels respected and made as, as whole as she can be. And it sounds kind of like, you know, groovy, kumbaya, but guess what? It works. Uh, the people who've gone in this program, they're much less likely to reoffend. They're much less likely uh, to hurt anybody than people who've been locked up in prison. And so we think now about not being tough on crime. We think about being smart on crime. And common justice points the way to being smart on crime, not locking up people and throwing away the key, but giving people the kind of treatment that they deserve, giving victims real respect. Uh, not by saying we're going to just put this guy in this cage for a while, 
and we'll see what happens when he comes out. That doesn't work, we now know. So looking at evidence-based responses uh, to people who cause harm, that leads us away from this rigid punishment regime and towards treatment. You know, we understand that now for, for drug crimes. When I was a prosecutor, can't tell you how many people I locked up for drugs. So hypocritical. When I, when I joined the Justice Department as a prosecutor, the only reason I stopped smoking weed is because I got drug tested. <laughs> and so that shows you, that's just one example of how messed up our, our whole, and how hypocritical our whole process is. You know, for drug crimes, if you look at who actually commits those crimes, Right here in D.C., the National Institute of Health tells us that black people don't use drugs more than anybody else. We're about 13% of people who use drugs. And drug, drugs are like most kind of social transactions, uh, segregated. So if you look at people who buy drugs and sell drugs, it's a kind of segregated transaction. People buy and sell drugs from people of their own race. But, so 13% of people who do the crime. Uh, but then, if you go in D.C. over to the Justice Department and ask, well, who's locked up for that crime? 60% of people are African American. So we're 13% of people who do the crime, 60% of people who do the time. And so, you know, that's just straight-out discrimination. That's just straight-out selective law enforcement. And so, again, when I'm thinking about abolition, you know, that's where we start. Uh, we start with letting people have alternatives to punishment uh, for using or selling drugs. If it's up to me, it's legal. If it's up to me, we certainly don't mark people in cages for that. And when I think about abolition, it doesn't mean we go to every prison in the country and let everybody out tomorrow. What we understand is that it's a process of gradual decarceration, where we start with, again, what I think are the easy cases, like the drug cases and other kinds of nonviolent crime. And we work our way through the system, again, with a focus on safety with a focus on making sure that folks who are causing harm are going to get the kind of services that they need so that they don't cause harm anymore. So abolition movements take a long time, and prison abolition doesn't mean that everybody gets to go home tomorrow, but it means that that's our vision, that's our goal, uh, a world in which nobody is put in a cage like animals. Even if we thought in theory some people might need to be treated like that, we know, everything we know about American history knows that if we have some policy of, of locking people in cages or executing people, there's no way that that's going to be done in the United States. That's not all about race and class. That's not all about locking up black people 
a lot of people understand this for the death penalty. A lot of people are against the death penalty because they know that it's for black folks. It turns out that that's not only true about the death penalty. That's true about incarceration. That's true about probation. Those programs are designed for black men. And so, again, what we have to understand is that whatever good we think prison does, uh, there are much better ways to get the same results that don't involve treating human beings like animals. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Uh, a couple of things in thinking about um, what you just spoke on. Um, you mentioned, you know, looking from the inside that it's evident that locking people up isn't rehabilitating them. And I think that even to those of us outside the system, if we're really paying attention, that, that that's evident as well. Why do, you, why do people still have these false ideas of what prison does and what does actually happen and what does life look like when black men leave prison? Well, Unfortunately, when folks leave prison now, they end up right back there in about a year. So if you look at the statistics, uh, about 60% of people who come home uh, 
get locked back up within a year and a half, and that's because they haven't received the kinds of services or treatment that they need in order to have better outcomes when they're back at home. People say, oh, well, it would be too expensive. Well, guess what? We spend that money right now. So if I'm thinking, well, why can't folks get health care? Why can't they get counseling? Why can't they get addiction treatment? Uh, Why can't they get job training? People say it's going to cost too much money. Well, prison's way more expensive. You know, not far from where the festival happens in Brooklyn, they have what you call million-dollar blocks. And those are million-dollar blocks because that's how much money the government spends locking people up just on that one block. And so what a lot of us say is, what if? What if rather than spending that million dollars putting people in cages, we spend it on schools? We spent it on sending people to college. Uh, we, sent it, we spent it on helping people learn how to be plumbers. I always say, in D.C., I don't have a hard time finding a great doctor or lawyer. What I have a hard time is finding a great electrician, a great painter. And so for some folks who may not be thinking about college, we want to encourage them to think about college. But if that's not for them, again... They can be an electrician, make a whole lot of money. And that's the kind of skill that keeps folks out of prison. The main thing is with young men just getting them to graduate from high school. To graduate from high school, that dramatically reduces your chances of being in, in the criminal legal process. And so why don't we have the courage, the integrity, Uh, to take care of our young black men in this way rather than just kind of sending them down the assembly line to prison. I have to say it's because I think a lot of people don't think of black folks as fully human. And that's just not some kind of abstract statement. If we look at some of the research that's been done, a lot of folks really think that black people are monkeys. So when Roseanne Barr made that stupid comment about Valerie Jarrett, it kind of signed on to this whole history of analogizing African Americans to non-human animals. And unfortunately, some of the research shows that that's real. And so when we think, oh, why did they keep locking this up? Why is the main social and legal policy for young African-American and other black men putting us in cages? What's that all about? Uh, What it's all about is a, a fear of black men. What it's all about is this anxiety uh, that young black men cause in a whole lot of people. You touched on briefly just now the uh, the role that schools play in sending black men to prison or the step after that being a black man being in prison. Can you talk a little bit more about that school-to-prison pri- pipeline? Yeah, so for both black 
boys and girls. When we think about what I call the chokehold, this this fear that people have about black men and the legal response, which is to police and prosecute us to death. The chokehold starts really early. So if you look at the data, it starts for black boys when we're about four years old. Even at that point, people start giving us what I call the hard stare. So if you look at who gets sent to detention, who gets kicked out of kindergarten, it's mainly black boys and black girls. We're talking about five-year-olds who, if it's little white Susie, she gets sent to the principal's office. If it's Javon, they call the police on him, or what they very misleadingly call the school resource officer because his resource is his handcuffs and his power to arrest and his gun. That's his resource. But that's who gets called on on Javon. And that process just kind of repeats itself uh, throughout the system. And the result is that young black boys and girls are less likely to finish high school than their white counterparts. And if you don't finish high school, if you're a young black man, you're going to jail in many cases. So if you look at black men in their 40s who don't have high school degrees, they're more likely to be in jail than they are to have a job. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. 
Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. What kind of effect has the media attention on police killings of black boys and men had on the general sentiment about, around how the the public thinks about criminal justice? You know, stories like Khalif Broder's and how those those conversations have an impact. When I think about the effect of the viral videos of black men getting shot down by the police or black girls getting beat up, by the cops. I think that it has an effect on all those people, especially white folks, who just didn't believe it when people of color would tell stories about what the police do and how violent they are and how disrespectfully they treat us. A lot of white folks just didn't believe it. Well, now they know. And so the question is, Knowing it doesn't make a difference. You know, the old folks say, when you know better, you do better. So now that many people know that everything that black people said about the police, well, guess what? It's true. Are they doing better? And I think it's making a difference for some. So when we think about that, maddening incident at Starbucks in Philly where the two brothers had the police called on them because they were waiting for their friend at the coffee shop. We know about that because white folks stepped up. White folks made that video. White folks and African Americans and Hispanics and others understood that this was a big deal and refused to allow 911 to be weaponized in their names. And so I think that that's a example of the success of the movement for black lives, which has been very canny in using media and shining a light on how violent and mean the police are to black people. So to that extent, a lot of people, now that they know better, they are doing better. So, again, if we think about the impact of the viral videos of police violence, to the people who didn't believe it, now they know. But then there's another set of people who just don't care or who think that that's what the police need to be doing. 
that's how they should be treating black people. And that's a much larger group than I like to think. And so when we see the results of some of these cases in which even with the videos, the police are not held accountable, they are almost never charged. And when they are charged, they're usually found not guilty. And so unfortunately, a lot of people think, well, either the police are just doing their jobs or that's the kind of treatment that black people deserve. And so for that set of folks who are firmly committed to white supremacy, uh, the videos don't make a difference. So you also talked about healing through music in your panel. What does that look like to you, and what is the importance of healing and therapy? You know, there's been a lot of focus recently on trauma and the impact that that has on communities of color. One amazing statistic I saw is a study asked people who are in prison for various crimes, have you ever personally seen somebody be killed? And almost everybody who's in prison has seen with their own eyes somebody be killed. And most people who are not locked up haven't seen that. And so that makes us think very deeply about the way that trauma operates in the lives of a people of color, and especially black women and men. And one of the one thing that I think art does is to help us deal with trauma. I think art is is healing, and of course, it's not the only kind of care that we need. Uh, people who have suffered trauma, you know, need therapy. Uh, they need health care. Uh, they need love in their lives. They need healthy relationships. But they also need art. And I had a actual real vivid example of that. I had the, the honor of speaking at the solution sessions at Afropunk Atlanta in 2017. And that meant that I got to go to Afropunk. And... The last Sunday of that festival in Atlanta, people have been waiting all day for Solange. And there were a lot of African-American women at that festival, a beautiful, diverse array of sisters. And Solange came out and in an hour on that stage in Atlanta, she healed us. She gave us stuff that, that we didn't even know that we needed. And you can look around after that performance and see on the faces of, of everybody, but especially black women, that something really good had happened in that hour. 
it's one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen, one of the best concerts I've ever, one of the best performances I, I've ever witnessed. And, and it wasn't just about artistic achievement. It, it was about something much deeper. It was about giving us some, some food for ourselves. And that's one of the reasons I, I've always loved going to the Afropunk festivals because there's something like that that happens at almost every festival. There's some moment where you kind of feel that one <laughs> with all these kind of sweaty black people around you. You just want to hug everybody. And again, part of that is a aesthetic achievement because of the uh, wonderful artists who come through the festival. But part of that is it is soul. I, I get why they used to call it soul music, because that's what it feels like. It feels like you're feeding your soul. Afropunk Solution Sessions is a co-production between Afropunk and How Stuff Works. Your hosts are Bridget Todd and Eves Jeffcoat. Executive co-producers are Julie Douglas, Jocelyn Cooper, and Quan Latif-Hill. Dylan Fagan is supervising producer and audio engineer. Many, many thanks to Casey Pegram and Annie Reese for their production and editorial oversight. And many thanks to our on-the-ground Atlanta crew, Ben Bolin, Corey Oliver, and Noel Brown. The Underside of Power is performed by Algiers. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Afropod. deserve to treat yourself so turn your tax refund into a u-fund and give yourself a straight talk wireless extended silver unlimited plan and get a new samsung galaxy a14 on them you can get a great everyday value on wireless with straight talks unlimited plan starting at 25 dollars a line per month for four lines you'll save so much you'll be enjoying that refund all year long it's the refund that keeps on refunding find straight talk at straighttalk.com or at your local walmart store Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.